How you doing? My name is Luke Such. And I'm Scott Meinema. And today we are talking a little bit of an extension, extrapolation out of our conversation last week on vocation to think about uh, theology of work. Yeah, last week we, we spent some time just looking at the idea that um, the uh, secular vocation versus full-time ministry vocation, that really, when we look at it biblically, and I think we we uh, relied on the reformers a lot here, but yeah. just the idea that a calling is a calling. We've all been given a mission where as we go to make disciples, and some of us um, as we go are stay-at-home moms, some of us are engineers, some of us are um, pastors, but a calling is a vocation. Those those two words are really one and the same. As a Christian, we are called. That's right. Without a doubt. Everybody, priesthood of all believers, and we look at this and say, the ministry of reconciliation is incumbent upon all of us who have been, by the grace of God, received salvation in Christ, and therefore, what you are doing for your day-to-day work is not necessarily your calling. Your calling is to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus in whatever that work looks like. It yeah. could be pastoral, it could be as a missionary, or it could be in the air quotes, more secular world, but you do it to the glory of God in the same way that someone in a vocational ministry does their work to the glory of God. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And so and, and so we touched on, you know, even mm-hmm. as, we, as we talked about that, we 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 started talking about kind of a theology of work, and I, it, it'd just be good to tease that out farther and just this idea of, because I I see I've seen this in my own life for so many years. Just the idea of work being a necessary evil. You know, mm. I go I go to work because I have to. I go to work because I got to make a living. But man, I look forward to the day in the new heavens and new earth when there's not going to be work and. What I've come to learn is just how messed up that thinking is. But that yeah. thinking has permeated the church. I mean, I think we have. Sure. I guess what I'm saying is, I think we have a um, a not so theological view of work. So, what we want to kind of do is let's start from the beginning and and look at the idea of work being. Well, I guess number one is work was given to us before Genesis three, right? Work yeah. was. Work was given to us in the garden, and so work isn't a result of sin. So you guys, so you send Adam and Eve. Now, therefore, go out and and work. But work was was actually prior to prior to the fall. It's it's a blessing, as, contrary to what we typically think of it as this, uh, you know, this sigh burden. I can't believe I have to work. Everybody's looking for a, a, a way to not have to work as much. You know, I, how many ads do you have for like, if you want to work just two days a week, you you have a a bad biblical view on what work is yeah. and why we work. Yeah, you mentioned blessing and and you know the command to work. Well, the command, any of God's commands, there are blessings on on the other side of every one of God's commands. And so mm-hmm. the first one to, to, to go and work. And I think this got, you know, even in with COVID, and, uh, you know, there were so many changes that took place within, you know, the workforce, and people began to re-examine work. And uh, again, what, you know, what we see in the counseling room oftentimes is that, People begin to move away from work, and and then all kinds of problems, right, begin to creep in. Or, and what we miss is that 
there are, as you indicated, rich blessings that come from working. Yes. So I, I, I want to tease that out, and that's obviously what we're doing. But before we get to any of that, I, I also I think it's necessary to concede the ground that there have been many, and there still are many people. Typically, this is something that befalls men, but not necessarily uh, exclusively, that lean too far into work and create an idol of their work. And all of who they are is defined by their job. And all of a sudden they are working 70 hour work weeks and not giving a proper balance to the call to lead your family, a call to be engaged in your church. Instead, everything has been filtered down through work and and they take a good thing and make it an idolatrous thing. And we can do that. We are just absolute inventive idolaters. We can do that with any good thing. We can turn marriage, we can turn family, we can turn work, we can turn apple pie into an idol, right? Any good thing can be taken and twisted and shaped in a way that becomes idolatrous and sinful. And so I, I want to always caveat and say, don't find cover for a workaholic and what we're about to say. Well, yeah, man, that's, that is such an important point to make and to begin with. And I, I'm glad you start, got us started there because it, that in itself is evidence that I'm working for the glory of self and not mm-hmm. working for the glory of God. So I think what we've got to do is what does it look like if we're talking about work you know, what's the difference between working for the glory of self mm. and working for the glory of God? Or put maybe in a positive way, what does it look like to live for the glory of God in my work? So we're saying that work is was given to us by God before the fall. And of right. course, our work is, has been affected by the fall. But if, um, so work is good, but even though work is good, I can still work for the glory of self. Mm. And and one evidence of that would be being enslaved to my work too and, much. and too much work. Yeah. And, and though, so, though not the only evidence, right? You could oh, have a, yeah. a perfect on the outside work-life balance and still be idolatrous. Idolizing, that's what I'm looking for. Idolizing your workplace. It, yeah. It's not, that's not the only indicator. There are others. Yeah. So when we talk about living, do you have any thoughts on what does, when we talk about working for the glory of God, Mm -hmm. what does that look like on Tuesday afternoon? And what does that look like on Thursday morning? I think it's an old stoic line that a man with a big enough why can endure any how. And it's just a turn of phrase to say, like, what is your purpose and what you are doing will drive a difference in how you do it. So I, I'm able to endure the mundane or the difficult or the uh, frustrating aspects of a job if I have connected. And I've, I, I want to add, if I've properly connected that task to God's glory. And so when I begin with that, I mean, we talked about this last time in Colossians 3, that that whatever you are doing, you do to the Lord. And great, okay, now I have this this great uh, eternal purpose, a why, a, a underlying motivation that guides the 
little things of life. And again, we can apply this, uh, what the beauty of what the Bible does with this is that it it is applicable to absolutely every situation and every vocation, every calling, whatever it may be, you could be a stay-at-home mom, you can be unloading trucks, you can be preaching the word, and every time you can drill back down deep enough and find the glory of God as your foundation, hopefully. At, at least that's going to help, yeah. right? If you want to be biblically faithful, you should be motivated there. Yeah, I mean, we, in one way, we image God when we work. Mm. Uh, or say it, one way to image God is work because, well, one of the very first things we learn about God is he's a God of work. Mm. Um, he rested, but yet we're, you know, we, we see in other places in Scripture that we serve a God who doesn't sleep, He doesn't slumber, and He's a God of He's a God of work. He's constantly ruling over His creation. Well, and when I think there, I think of like when I go to the creation account, God is properly ordering the creation, right? So you have the first three days that are forming, and then the next three days that are filling that created world that He has built. But it doesn't just do it by itself. Mm. If you go and look at, I, I live in the woods, right? And so there is a very clear line of like the part of the property that I try to keep managed. Do you like live in the woods? Do you have a house in the woods? Well, you know, there is a home there. No, but but there is, you know, I mow grass up to a point Mm -hmm. and then you just go, all right, that's on its own. Nature's just going to do nature there. And it is wild. It is unkept. It is disorderly. It is It is doing nature. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love it. And there's a lot, but I, you know, I tell my kids, listen, don't go walking through that. You're going to get thorns. You're going to get burrs. You're going to be, it's going to be a bad time. You can't barefoot walk into that section of our property. You just can't do it. Why? Well, well, because to keep something well-maintained requires work. Mm-hmm. You ha- it, it does the natural world does not maintain itself on its own. It is unruly and overgrown, and that has only been amplified by the sin nature that we've brought into this world. And as a result, everything's broken, and it's not just going to get better, right? No, no person. And you can think about this in your own spiritual life, or, or perhaps even better is to to take it to a, a physical analogy, right? You're you're not going to get stronger by doing nothing. Yeah. You have to put effort in to be able to grow. That is the same case with the world around you. It won't get better just by sitting there. It will yield to breaking down. No car that you buy and sit for 10 years and go, you know, it's going to be just as good as the day I bought. No, no, it's not, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to have all kinds of issues because you've not maintained it. You've not worked at it. it. Work is a good and necessary part of a created order. We have to. We, and, and to your point, we're mirroring, mirroring God in our work when we do so. Yeah, so you're saying we're, work is really something we were, we were built for, something yes. Our, yes. our loving creator intends for us to do. It's part of how he rules his creation. He rules his creation through us. So so we're we in our respective works, yeah. we are ruling and reigning, if you will, on behalf of our creator. We're we're stewards of and so if you know in a sense, you know, God is he's he he does redemptive work. There's mm-hmm. re- and so if I'm a 
a producer, a songwriter, or a poet, or an actor, in, in a real way, I'm doing some kind of redemptive work. Or if I'm a, an actor, or a musician, or I'm a painter, in some way, I am doing creative type work. Um, if I'm, you know, if I'm a, a doctor, or a nurse, or a paramedic, I'm doing compassionate type work work. I mean, so in everything we look at, there's some there's some way that I am a vice agent, if you will, uh, of of God's work over creation. Yeah, I, I mean I, I go to Genesis 2:15, right? God creates. He builds this world. He makes this beautiful garden. And right in verse chapter two, verse ten, the river is flowing and it divides, and there's this this beautiful place that's filled with gold and onyx. And and then what does he do? Verse fifteen: The Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Mm. Again, it's it's important to note this is pre-fall. So this is the the everything is good world that God has created. And Adam is brought into this and told, work this space. Keep this beautiful. Don't, don't let it go. You are to work. And you are to work in a way that that brings right that purpose, that underlying purpose, or as you talked about earlier, the blessing that comes through the burden. And I, I don't think those are improper terms to think. Work can be a burden, but it's a glorious burden. It's a it, yeah. It's hard. Well, it's, of course it's hard. It's meant to be hard. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you've ever had that conversation with your kids? Like you're gonna have to do hard things. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to teach that child, whoever old they are, how to do something hard because a giant portion of life is getting your own brain over the hurdle of doing the hard thing because there is a better result at the end of it. Delayed satisfaction that work brings. There's a blessing. A Reflection of God through our work. So, going back to just practically, what yes. what are some ways? A couple ways to ask this. Maybe, what are some ways that in my work I live for the glory of self? Somebody is using a drill in the stairwell. It's like that's not my stomach. Is it? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I think I, I think that's being caught by the microphone. Anyhow, okay, sorry. What was your question again? Because yeah, so, I got very distracted there. So, along the lines of living for the glory of God versus living for the glory of self. I mean, right? Every moment of our life uh-huh. gets boiled down to one of two things: I'm living for the glory of Scott, or I'm living for the glory of God. And oftentimes, too often, right? We, well, I live for the glory of Scott. So, along the lines of just work. Mm-hmm. What are, what does it look like to live for the glory of self, versus what does it look like to live for the glory of God? You know, again, I'm so I have in view, uh, you know, I'm I drive a truck or I'm an engi- I work as an engineer or I'm a stay at home mom. What does that look like when we, you know, when just practically speaking, how can I tell? Whose glory I'm working for? Well, I think my my knee jerk response is that when I think about people who've tied their identity to work, mm. that when it goes poorly, all of a sudden it is very like it it rattles who you are because you've caught up so much of self in work 
that you, I don't know, you, you got in a car wreck and while driving your truck and or, or I don't know, you manage a fund or something like that and you've, it, it doesn't do well. Well, all of a sudden, if you are caught up in that work, I, I am at a crisis of self. Whereas if my motivating factor underneath it is, was I faithful to God? Mm. And, and this, by the way, back to our conversation earlier, this happens in ministry all the time as well. I I have all kinds of, I mean, there's anecdotes. I know friends who like tied their value to how their church is growing as a pastor. And then all of a sudden things start to go poorly for whatever reason. And, and they like, is that a reflection of me? And, and the problem is we've imported an improper heuristic to understand that question. We've right tied the value to ourselves instead of the the marker of good work is faithfulness to the almighty god not did i accomplish what you know the the bottom line goals that i had the 25% quarterly growth that i was looking for or whatever it may be well if if you are finding yourself uh, at a identity crisis level when work goes poorly or an identity Inflation, when work goes well, you may have a marker that you have tied too much yeah, of an good. idol to your work. Yeah, that's good. What else? What, do you have any other thoughts on things that show you uh, that you may be leaning too far towards the self-glorification side? Well, I like what you said. I mean, when, you know, <laughs> how do I know if I'm living for the glory? Well, what happens when things go, don't go, go your way, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, am I, you know, am I... Am I living for the glory of my name? Well, so how do you how do you respond when somebody else gets the credit mm. at work? Um, are you okay? Do you really care who gets the credit? Are you more concerned with who gets the credit? Are you more concerned about the the good that's being done or the ultimate yeah. uh, task that needs yeah. to be done? If if I care more about who gets the credit, I might be living for the glory of self. Mm. Um, I think there you know there's a lot of of indicators, um, am I? You know, am I more concerned for this? Is I think this is true for uh, for a lot of, especially for men. But um, you know, do I care about how I'm I'm viewed? Right. I mean, and I don't mean that in the sense of my reputation and my character. But um, am I working for promotions? Am yeah. I working for a title? Am I working for? You know, is it all about? Is it all about 401k and money? And I mean, if those are all the targets, then I'm probably living for the glory of self and not living for the glory of God. Do I even care about, you know, how does the gospel um, instruct and inform my work? Um, is that even on my radar? If it's not, if God's nowhere on my radar, if God's glory, if the gospel isn't on my radar, I'm probably working for the glory of self. Yeah, so I, if I hear all of that, I think, what are your goals? Like, I, I could try to yeah. distill, and, and maybe you don't have any, and then, so this isn't a very helpful thing, but maybe you should think about some goals. Um, what goals do you have? And if you look down your list of goals in your vocation, or for you personally, and all of them have to do with promotions or dollars, you're missing something. Yeah. Why, I mean, here's, why did God put you where you're at? Mm. You could say, well, I don't know that I would agree God put me there. If you're there, God has you there. So for what purpose, whatever your vocation is, why does God have you there? 
I, mean, I think you got to start there. Sure. Because I think for a lot of us, we don't think about it in those terms. It's, I, you know, I got me here. I, right. I made the choice to be— We have too low um, of a view of God. Yeah, we have too low a view of God and too high of a view of ourselves. That's right. We've elevated <laughs> our own agency. Um, yeah. And I mean, when you think about that question, why did God put me here? And if the answer has anything to do with to bring value to the shareholders, right? You've, you've misunderstood a deeper purpose. So I, I think when, I, when I'm just trying to process this conversation, I, I, I think so much of it comes down to that question of what are you motivated by? And if you can import that biblical purpose, then work becomes a glorious thing, yeah. a glorious thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to, so I spend a lot of time with 20-somethings, make sure I don't miss this opportunity. I'm not sure that that is the demographic of who listens to this. Um, podcasts are probably, uh, I don't know, outdated for someone who's in their 20s at this point, but so be it. Uh, make sure that the the trend line of young men delaying work is not something that we are okay with in the church. That as Christians, we say, it is good for you to go and work. It is a good thing for you not to waste your time on lazy idleness. Go and work hard. Make something of yourself, not for yourself, but for God. You have a great grand purpose in this world, and it is not to play video games, and it's not to work hard for you. It is to work hard for the glory of God, and when you can see the value in what you're doing, it will give you a reason to get up off that bed and say, I have something to accomplish. There is purpose here. Not only that, I mean, at a broad level, you you bring value to you, you bring value to your community, you, as a man who knows how to work hard for the glory of God, it brings all of this intent... I don't want to say secondary blessing. Is that maybe not the right way to frame it? But while the underlying purpose is the glory of God, good news, friends, the overflow of the glory of God will just wash over your life with all kinds of blessing as a man who has purpose in life. Yeah. I want to lean into one thing you said, going back to, you know, if you're living, you know, just to make make it better for, paraphrasing, make it better for the shareholders. And... And yet, would you agree though that if I'm if I'm living for the glory of God, part of that might include I want this I want this company to be better. I want to lead yes. it better than I found it. It's sure. not about me. It's about God. It's about others. And so, part of it is I I may may even sacrifice myself because I that's what the gospel does in part. Right? The gospel always leaves things, jobs, neighborhoods, relationships, always leaves it better than they found it. I, I, I think there is an underlying element to that. And so I, I want to agree with that, kind of. I want to make sure that I use a biblical understanding of what better is. So there isn't just this uh, import of better means a higher stock price. So if that's your your definition of better, then I'm not sure I want to agree with it. But if your definition of better is that as the gospel takes hold in our lives, 
the world is conformed and ref- reformed, right? That people often miss this and just a brief church history tangent. Thanks for coming along. Uh, the, the reform, <laughs> he can't, he I can't, can't help no, himself. I can't, of course, why would I try to help myself? Uh, the reformed in reformed theology is not just about uh, the five points of Calvinism or anything to that effect. What it actually, where it's the derivation of the name is that the reformers are, they are reforming society. So the way my church history professor used to teach this too is that in, in Luther's Germany, you closed down the whorehouse, and Calvin's Geneva, you closed the whorehouse and you put a church where it used to be. Like you're actively reforming. You're trying to bring about a better society, not because a better society is the end goal, but because a society that reflects God is glorifying to God. Mm-hmm. So you can look at Jeremiah and see God's people who are in exile are told to seek the good of the city. Like, oh, that's such an interesting thing. So, so do I think that the idea of of something being better should I work towards the betterment of my company or my I don't know, my career or whatever it may be? At one level, yes, as long as I think we properly define it. Yeah, I, do you okay, want to qualify or tease yeah, that out? No, fair enough. I mean, I at the end of the day. And I think we'd, we'd, we'd agree on this. I mean, the stock price or the profitability of the company, yeah. the results yes. are not in my hands. Well, I can be the CEO. I can be, at the end of the day, the results are in God's hands. So, Can you trust God then, too? Can, I, I think that is an, a huge import here. Right. Can you trust God when it goes well? And can you trust God when it goes poorly? Right. I, I think it's F.F. F. Bruce. Uh, it might be Bruce Walkey, one of those, uh, an old, old-time Bible commentator on Hebrews 11 who points out that the first three people in the hall of faith, Abel had faith, he died. Enoch had faith, he never died. Noah had faith, everyone else died. <laughs> and his point was, faith is no guarantee of outcome. Yeah. They were all faithful in their own situations, and different things happened to them. So again, back to our point here, don't make the... Uh, if I'm faithful, God is going to grow my company. Right. Maybe, maybe not. But but there's and this is a whole this is a whole nother this is another podcast. But yeah. but the results. <laughs> I mean, off, how often do we end up in a second <laughs> podcast than the first? Okay, or this is actually the second. That's a third at this point. But the call to be, I mean, uh, calls to be faithful. So I, I know that in my in my job, there's certain key performance indicators. There may be certain yeah. targets to improve, and I know that. In human terms, if I do those things, that there's going to be favorable results. But we sure. but we never would miss the, the the reality that at the end of the day, the results are in God's hands. I'm called to be faithful, but with 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 all of that said, the from a from a uh, from a work perspective, uh-huh. I need to going back to going back to. Going back to purpose, um, I'm, I'm kind of lost my train of thought here. But oh, okay, now I remember. So, so I was kind of leaning into your what you were saying about uh-huh. um, uh, bringing value to the shareholders. Bringing value to the yeah. shareholders. So, I I want if I'm living for the glory of God, part of that I think in my my work is to again leave relationships better, leave companies yeah. better than I found them. Um, I'm not so. What I'm not suggesting is that that's that means that I'm that the results are are evidence of that one way or the right, other, right? right. It's yep. it's just that part of the evidence of living for the glory of God is I don't I care less about me. Yes, 
I care more about others yeah. and how that plays out in my work on Wednesday morning and Thursday afternoon. And Well, I, I think part of the benefit that goes here is that the the goal of being faithful to God will yield benefit to whatever work it is. So, I, I mean, try to concretize this. If you are waking up saying, I'm working to the glory of God, you're, you're not going to do it in a lackadaisical way. You have to go and work hard. And, and that is bringing glory to God and bringing value to your company right. at the same time. I think both of those, if you are waking up and say, I'm going to bring glory to the God, then you're going to say, I'm not going to lie to a customer today. Right. I'm going to make sure that I'm on and and I mean it dep- hopefully hopefully you're in a field that that's going to bring value to your company long term. That's going to bring value to where you are or I mean again let's make sure we don't get too narrow. You wake up as a mom of three kids and say I'm working to the glory of God today. And that means you're going to have a difficult discipline conversation with your child. And man, it'd be way easier to not do it, right? It it <laughs> Put yep, on a show. Yep. Let them just uh, whatever. I'll deal yep. with that. And no, no, no. I'm working for a purpose. Yep. And so, yes, the gospel is going to make things better in that regard because modeling our lives after God's law is going to yield good results. Yep. There's a re- he doesn't tell us to seek His glory because He's just vain. We misunderstand the jealousy of God in that regard. Mm-hmm. We seek God's glory because it is the only proper end. It is the the actual goal. It's the only thing that is of highest value. Why would you give glory anywhere else? God is not doing that because he's jealous and, 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 and uh, I want glory and I don't want them to have. It's not like a high school girl who is not getting attention that he used to. Again, way too low of a view of God. Rather, God properly assesses the created order and says there is only one place that all of this attention should be given. Praise, worship, glory belongs to the Almighty God. Yeah, that's good. You know, as we um, as we kind of think about wrapping this up, what I'd like to do is just take a maybe take a minute and think about how does this idea theology of work. How does that instruct and inform people my age? You know, we're mm. we're as we we're in our fifties and in our sixties, and we start thinking. Careful, very, careful with that. We talk there. I'm I'm in no fifties, sixties. No, no, you're yeah, no. Right? There's, there's others of us. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. We've right. we've broke the barrier, and and you know, the American way of thinking about this is we look forward to the R word and and mm. in retirement. And so is there a conflict, right, between this idea of retirement and living the good life and moving to Florida? And I don't have anything against people who move to Florida, but, but, but lovely state. But not working is what I'm saying. And I mean, is do I need to think differently about that? And l- let me kind of answer answer the question. I if if work is good and work is commanded. Yes then I think we have to think differently than our culture and society um, points us as far as um, retirement. And, yeah. Yeah. and, and you know, I, I think about um, well, Piper. I think he did a—it's the famous seashell sermon. Have you ever heard of that? I have. Okay. Don't like it? No, love it. Oh, okay. I, the look at you when you— that No, look, oh, I was absolutely. Like, oh. 
And I, you know, when I, um, when I had heard that, I don't know, that was over 20 years ago. And I heard that and I just thought, oh, because that was my aim. My aim was before I went into full-time ministry, my aim was, you know, I want to retire at, in my fifties and kind of live the good life. Right. And, and as I began, as God began to open my, just my heart up to the things that we're talking about, I just came to understand that, you know, the, what the work looks like may change as I, I get older, but I've got to think about what am I doing to work for the glory of God as I get into my late 50s, 60s, and, and 70s. And that that if you haven't heard of that uh, seashell sermon, he, um, he talks about um, a couple of ladies in his church that were um, killed recently and how they had given their life. And, uh, and he asks, he says, is that a, a tragedy? And then he goes on, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quote him here because I, I brought this with me. Go for it. He says, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll read for you from Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. And then he says this. He says, Bob and Penny, they took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51, and now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot troller and play softball and collecting shells. And he goes on, he says, that's a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And he goes on, he says, I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. And he says, here it is, Lord, my, my shell collection. I've got a nice golf swing. I look at my boat. And he goes on, he says, don't waste your life. You know, don't waste it. I remember reading that and just thought, oh, man, something, something big needs to change in my life. Yeah, if there if there is a classic sermon from the last 30 years, that is the one. I think it was at... Was it at Passion? I think it was, yeah, yeah delivered yeah. at the Passion Conference. And it was like, I've heard him talk about it many times. He's like outside and it's windy and there's a bunch of, at that time, probably young Gen Xers listening to this this plea that became the book, Don't Waste Your Life, right? Mm -hmm. They're collecting shells. Here, Lord, look at my seashell collection. Like, what are you doing? What are, what are you spending your life on? And again, this goes back to our question of purpose. And yeah. I... If that was your purpose in the workforce, then it is your purpose in retirement as well. And I think that will guide. I'm, I'm not of the position that I think retirement is necessarily wrong, although it depends on what you mean by retirement. Yeah. Yep. So again, I think declining the number of hours or the type of tasks that you do is good and proper and, and biblical all around. Yeah. That being said, you're still working to the glory of God. And uh, we do a, a disservice to our, our retired population when we don't see that as a time to you, you've you've put in years of faithful service to God, hopefully, and then what we kick you off into the old Sunday school class and make sure you sing your songs by yourself and don't talk to anybody else and go. No, no, you have a grand, glorious value of. Of, of a lifetime of following Christ that we need, the church needs. So don't give up on being engaged with people. Don't give up on 
missions. Don't give up on on mentoring. Don't give up on the value volunteering of, at the church. Volunteering at there's so many ministries that are are looking for good people that have a lot of life experiences and skills that can come alongside others and serve. Uh, there's no doubt. So uh, I, you know. Work is not a result of the fall, as we indicated originally. It, it, uh, that doesn't mean it isn't harder. Mm. I mean, we haven't touched on that. I know we're long, so we probably don't need to go into it too far. But you, you do find evidence that a broken, sinful world, work is going to be a struggle. That being said, through Christ, we are redeemed, and we can we can break through that low cloud cover of what looks dreary and broken and see above to something more redemptive, that work is a good if you have it for this underlying purpose of bringing God glory. That's good. Well, a couple of resources as we yeah, wrap up, it. just talking about this idea of work. Uh, I, I, probably the best book that's the easiest to read is called The Gospel at Work. It's written by a guy named Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert. Um, it's, you know, I don't know, 150 pages long, but there's, it's, makes for a, a great read or small group discussion because there's good questions at the end of every chapter. Um, if you want to go a little bit deeper and wider into this topic, uh, Tim Keller's got a book, Every Good Endeavor. And uh, I, again, I think it's probably the best one written on this theology of work. And so uh, anyway, any, uh, any closing thoughts? You get the last word, Luke. Go work hard to the glory of God. Do so with great joy. If if you are able to work, you've been gifted a, a an immense ability that some never had. Uh, just that in and of itself is grace upon grace. Go work hard to God's glory and delight in being able to be a reflection of His character as you work with a purpose. It's worth doing.